I'm Dr. Judy and welcome to Supercharged Life where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness and fulfillment and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. You may have heard the story of my next guest. It actually was a real life story that became a podcast that went so viral, it was downloaded 10 million times in the first six weeks. Then it was a Bravo TV series starring Connie Britton and Eric Bana. And now it's on Netflix and everybody still continue to talk about it and consuming this information. And we're talking about Dirty John. And yet this is the real life story. And I'm so fortunate to have both Deborah and Tara Newell here with me today. And we're going to really delve into the story of how a con artist and a convicted felon really just turned your worlds upside down. But at first he seemed like he was a rescuer. He was an amazing person. Oh, Completely. Well, yeah. you know, he's a con man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's what con men do. Yes. And, and first of all, I just wanted to thank you guys for coming and sharing the story because oh. I know that part of sharing the story is having to relive not only the good moments, but also the nightmares. Well, thank you. And I appreciate that because I know that both of you guys are doing this because you're trying to empower people and you're trying to teach people the lessons that they should walk away with. Yes. Yes, 100%. I feel like that's why we're really doing it is because, you know... Otherwise, it's like just our dirty laundry on the television. And it's like we want something to come out of our dirty laundry being aired, you know. And, you know, I I will say that I think that's why people consume all of this real life forensic. You know, this is why this is so popular as a genre, because people are drawn to the story and they want to learn from it. But nobody wants to suffer the consequences themselves. right? Right. So they look at the other people who have been through it went to hell and back. And then they say, okay, how can I apply this to my life? And I will just start by saying, Deborah, I have watched a lot of interviews with both of you. And I have just seen how well-spoken you guys have been and how poised you have been with these difficult questions. And something that I noticed is that people ask some of the same questions over and over again, which is uh, things like, didn't you see it coming? (laughs) And, uh, well everybody warned you why didn't you listen and I feel like that is so judgmental because it is people don't realize but they haven't been in my shoes exactly or many other women's shoes to even have a clue people don't realize that psychopaths the really good ones Mm -hmm. and John was a really good one he was incredible the really good ones look for victims who are actually intelligent successful great at what they do, empathetic, kind, because how else are they going to get you into their web? And so really, it has nothing to do with your intelligence, your thoughtfulness. In fact, it has everything to do with why you were a target in some ways, because they want to ride the coattails of someone like you. And by associating themselves with people who are poised and successful, they become legitimized. And they have a position in society. What's interesting is 90% of John's victims were very successful, intelligent women. Yeah. So it was interesting how he was able to fool all of us. I will say that really good psychopaths fool a lot of people. In fact, I don't know if you guys know about a psychologist. His name is Dr. Hare. He came up with the Hare psychopathy checklist, which is something that we as clinical and forensic psychologists, we use to assess potential criminals and people for criminalistic tendencies. And even he has said publicly, 
yeah, this is my life's work. I'm an expert at detecting psychopaths and I've been duped many times. Wow. Right? So I think we all need to take that lesson home of it's not about how much you think you know. It's really the kind of feeling these people evoke when you're around them. It's interesting because John took me to one of his psychologists and she literally chimed in with him, sided with him to some degree. This is after I knew too much about John. Yeah. And I pulled her aside on the way out and I said, you don't know who this man is. And she said, all he wants is love. <laughs> and I thought, oh, if you only knew. <laughs> right. I know. And I think everybody's so quick to judge. People want to say, well, I've seen all of these signs, but hindsight is twenty twenty, And that's why I really want to take it back all the way to the beginning. I want to talk a little bit about the two of you and your relationship with one another. So Tara, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up with your mom and your siblings and um, what do you like most about your mom? Well, I've had a lot of siblings. Mm-hmm. I, well, I have a lot of siblings. <laughs> They're still there. They're still here. <laughs> Thanks for the No one died. Yeah, yeah no, John didn't yes. take them away. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> um, but I have a lot of siblings. So growing up, it was a big family. At certain points, um, my mom married different people because it didn't work out with like the last one and for good reasons too. And so I had blended family here and there and um so I had stepbrothers and sisters so it was interesting meeting all these other people and getting to know these other dynamics and but it was really fun to growing up because we had a lot of family vacations Mm -hmm. and we traveled to a lot of great places and I feel like our family is very close Mm -hmm. maybe too close where you know I understand (laughs) everyone's in everyone's business yeah (laughs) so I understand too much yeah yeah Deborah people might know that you're a successful business owner so tell us about your interior design well I went to school for it Mm -hmm. uh, way back in the day (laughs) way 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 back in the day (laughs) we actually flipped homes one after the other and then he left when I was pregnant and so I thought what am I going to do with my life and I prayed about it And I felt like doors opened. And the main door that opened was um, I had a builder call me and say, I would love for you to do my model homes. One thing that I promised was that I would hire single moms because Mm. of what I'd gone through. And so that was a really big passion of mine. That is so empowering because I think sometimes when people become single moms, especially when it feels very sudden, like it happened to you because you were pregnant at the time that your then husband left, they don't know where to go next. And maybe they don't even know what their identity is. You certainly achieved a lot in your career. And I know that you were very well respected by many, many people. You had a huge referral network. Lots of people really looked to you for your expertise. But there was this one piece of your life that hadn't come together yet. And that was your romantic life. So tell me a little bit about sort of your thought process around that. You know, were you thinking, okay, everything's great, but it would be so nice if I could have this piece also. Okay. So one thing that was really important to me was having a family life. I was mom and dad most of my kids' uh, childhood. Mm. So I had to make the living and it became a challenge at times. We were both parents at once. Yeah. uh, Many times I was the breadwinner and then trying to be mom, which is very, very difficult. When you're a single mom and you have a career, 
you have no time to go out and meet men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, I feel where like, are you going to go meet them too? Just right. stand at a bar and hang yeah. out and hope and somebody not, comes up to you? <laughs> exactly. And I'm not a bar person at right. all. <laughs> I'm lucky if I have one drink. <laughs> right, right, right. You're like, I can't hang out long enough yeah. for yeah. a lot of good prospects yeah. to show up. Yeah. Okay. So then you did the online dating thing, so, which I'm sure was a little shocking for you, right? Well, this is Jacqueline, one of with. my daughters said, Mom, why don't you go online? I thought, uh... <laughs> okay, I'll try it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I joined, and I think within a day or two or whatever, there were several, many, many men uh, to look through. And uh, I can't begin to tell you some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some really bad stories? There, well, I had some bad dates. Uh-huh. Um, I, Did you I, get catfished? <laughs> Where people showed up yes. and looked nothing like Oh, what my gosh. Like. I think there was one guy that said he was a doctor. Uh-huh. And this isn't the worst of them. I I had some interesting, I had five dates total. Mm -hmm. uh, And none of them appealed to me whatsoever. But one of them, yeah, he said he was like 5'11". He Mm -hmm. worked in the medical field. I guess I'm drawn to that, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doctors. Yeah. And Why are you drawn to that? Why do you think that's a desirable trait? It's not necessarily the medical field. Anyone that has been successful, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do love that doctors are all about helping people. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the traits that I do, you know, enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but I think for me, this one date, I showed up and he was probably five, six, close to 250. Uh-huh. Uh, he was balding. So the picture must have been 10 to 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I looked around. I thought, no, that can't be him. And I thought, oh, it's him. Great. Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I was, uh, I did online dating too for a few months before I met my husband. And I have stories like that where people showed up (laughs) and I thought maybe this is the dad of the person who Uh was supposed to come and Uh see it on a date. When you were saying, though, Deborah just made me think about the fact that you had gone through all these yucky dates. So then when John Meehan showed up, he was a dream, right? Well, first of all, he looked so, he looked really young. So I did not want to date. A lot younger. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind a few years, but a lot younger. I don't need to be a, a mom again. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's right. Yeah, no, you want a romantic I have partner, I have not a son. Kids. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he showed up and he he looked yeah. kind of young. He looked young. He had this um, dress shirt on with sort mm-hmm. of khaki uh, shorts, uh, but really cute, mm-hmm. really uh, fit, and really funny. Mm. And I love funny. I have to have a sense of humor. And very smart. Yeah. So that that wit was there also. Yeah. And he seemed interested in me because most of the dates I'd been on, it was all about them. Meaning they talked about themselves a lot. Yes. And I like it being a two-way conversation Mm -hmm. where you're learning about each other. With John, he was, he just seemed like a breath of fresh air. Who knew? <laughs> right. Well, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. But right. when we take you back to that moment that you were in, I, I mean, what was your internal dialogue then? Were you like, oh, finally, a, a normal guy who's cool? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, hmm, there's potential here. Of course. <laughs> Somebody who actually seems right. interested in you yeah. and has things going for himself. Right. 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 So that makes sense. Did you tell your kids, did you tell Tara about John pretty quickly? Like, hey, I went on a nice date. It was a great date. Here's a little actually, about him. Um, actually, what happened was I was living in a penthouse. Mm-hmm. 
So, and Jacqueline was home. Mm-hmm. What happened was he came to the guard gate. They mm-hmm. let him in. I, I told him, go ahead, let him in. Then he went to the front, you know, the reception area. They uh, told him it was okay to go up. Uh, they called me. So good protection there. Yeah. You know, there's security. Uh, he comes up. Jacqueline's home. Mm-hmm. So he comes up to get me on the date. So I don't think anything of it. Yeah. But he does look around. You my saw them being very watchful. Um, I didn't, but Jacqueline did. Oh, okay. Because okay. I'm getting mm, ready. Right. Then we go on the balcony, look at the view, yep. have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Then we walk over to Houston's. And I think Jacqueline and John talked about different doctors that they knew. Mm-hmm. Because according to John, he was freelancing yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had just gotten back from Iraq in July and... Mm-hmm. So he was trying that out. Yeah. So we went over to Houston's and we, I think we talked for three, four hours. Wow. Yeah. And then I said, Obviously come back. Obviously a great conversationalist. Yeah. Yeah. Charming. 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 Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But he also can turn it on and off because Tara, when you first met him, he wasn't that charming to you. Yeah. Well, I was also the one that was going to buzz into her ear. So, uh-huh. you know, he I probably knew that. by Yeah. Then. And he mm-hmm. wanted to isolate me. And mm-hmm. he realized that when I got there, I uh, have an opinion. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell her the things that are wrong with him. Mm-hmm. And that's a threat to him because otherwise he's not going to be able to gain his target yeah gain your trust unconditionally basically and you know as i was mentioning earlier we use this checklist the psychopathy checklist about the things that we should watch for but i think sometimes people think oh if i could spot them a mile away I don't think it's that easy. I think no. people think it's easy, yeah. but unless you're sitting in there and you're experiencing yourself and you've actually come face to face with a psychopath, mm-hmm. you don't actually know exactly how they get you into their web. Here's a question for you. Uh, so he's charm. He was very charming. Mm-hmm. And I hear that's one of the traits. That is one of the traits. And but, the psychopathy checklist says that as well. But can charming also not, I mean, can someone be charming and not a psychopath? Absolutely. And okay. see, this is why people sometimes, I think there's an over-interpretation, right? Of right. What does this really mean? And this is what I mean by the more subtle traits of psychopathy. And so, again, we've established John Meehan is one of the best psychopaths out there. Now, right. there are people who have that trait, and they're just a boss. There's nothing wrong with it, meaning that what we think in the general population is there might be one to 3% of us that have psychopathic traits. Okay. But a lot of us are not criminals, right? right? They're just a little bit of a charm and maybe a little lower empathy. And and generally you might be slightly difficult to get along with sometimes, but you're not going to do anything crazy. Okay. This is a whole other level of psychopath and they're much more sophisticated with their charm. So the charm isn't just somebody who shows up at a party and is magnetic because you love that. You want to talk to people like that. So is it basically the ulterior motive? It's part of the ulterior motive. And the charm is very much linked to your emotional reactions, meaning what you were saying about Jacqueline's observation that he was watching all around the apartment Mm -hmm, or how mm -hmm. interested he seemed in you. Right. But so much of that intent interest is to watch your emotional reactions and to try to see what things matter to you most and what things you could care less about. Right. And then he's going to invest more and mirror you in the areas in which you really cared about, like your family values, like church, which mm-hmm. I, I mean, that is also just the worst thing that people pretend that they're into God yeah. just to oh, get that you in their me web. Nuts. That's awful. So yeah. the one thing, though, that I find very interesting is 
my career was mm-hmm. obviously a big deal to me because Absolutely. I made a good living. Yes. So I'm able to have the best of the best mm-hmm. for myself and for my children. Mm-hmm. But my children were obviously the biggest part of my life. Yes. Why would he isolate them, find negativity mm-hmm. so early on? Mm-hmm. Um, if he knows that's so important to me. So here's a really interesting thing about psychopaths is oftentimes they think they're smarter than they are. Okay. And they're also more impulsive than the average person. I mean, sometimes we get mad at people and maybe we hold ourselves back like we want to scream at someone, but we don't do it. Right. Psychopaths have a harder time controlling that impulsivity. And so I think eventually, of course, the long game is I'm going to isolate Deborah for myself. Right. But he wasn't able to play the long game very well because sometimes his emotions would just well up and his singular motive of wanting to isolate you would just take precedence okay. and he would just lash out at your children okay. because they were getting in the way. So he just didn't have control of his yeah. emotions. Yeah. Okay. So I think sometimes they think they're a little smarter than mm-hmm. they are because, mm-hmm. you know, of course, again, a lot of people, a lot of my listeners, I'm sure they have followed your story, whether seen your videos or watched the mm-hmm. Bravo show or they've listened to the original podcast. And and they're thinking, this guy's kind of a mess because sometimes he would be very messy with his crime. You know, I mean, he didn't clean up very well after himself, but that's part of the impulsivity and part of the narcissism of many psychopaths who kind of think they're smarter than everyone else and that you're not going to figure them out. That's interesting that you say that because I had hired a private investigator and a forensic psychologist. Wow. To analyze him so I could be a move ahead. How long was this into the relationship that you did this? Uh, The private, I hired two private investigators, but uh, when I was ready to leave him, which Mm -hmm. you have to take your time Mm -hmm. and do it properly or something can happen. Absolutely. So I had hired someone on how to leave and when to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So they got in the mind of John. Mm Mm-hmm. And would tell me the steps. I had to change, you know, obviously passwords, Mm -hmm. bank accounts. I had to start storing money somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot. You have to be able to leave work for Mm -hmm. who knows how long. Mm -hmm. So there's a plan. Right. And what I learned was from this forensic psychologist is he said that uh, John was smart but sloppy. Right. With some of the things he was doing. Right. In some ways, he was very transparent. Yes. And a truly brilliant psychopath would be much more masked in some of their intentions. And this is why sometimes he just lashed out at Tara, yeah. mm-hmm. at Jacqueline, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. at the various members of your family who he saw as getting in the Because they way. can't control their emotions. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Tara, what is one of the most memorable stories you had of John that made you think, hmm, this is not right? Well, I only met him like two weeks in a row and that was the only time where I ever saw him. Mm. And so he saw me buzzing into my mom's ear like the first week. Mm -hmm. And then the second week I was still doing it. (laughs) I was also talking to my mom's hairdresser who did all of her hair. Mm. And she was also having some concerns about him also. Mm -hmm. And then I was talking to my sister. So all of us were like kind of getting together and being like, okay, something's not right. Mm -hmm. And I went back to the house after I did Thanksgiving shopping the day before. Mm -hmm. And he 
Well, my mom came in the room first. It was in the doorway. And we were having a conversation. My ex-boyfriend and my dogs were in there with me. Mm -hmm. And I was just asking her why he was using her car and more stuff. Like, just voicing my concerns to her. Mm -hmm. And then John came up behind her and um this part i kind of like black out here and there but i know it was very aggressive and i know he was angry and i only remember certain things that he said back Mm -hmm. to me which was you don't want to see your mom happy you want her all to yourself Mm -hmm. and you just want to use her for your her money and Mm -hmm. stuff and i literally just like thought about that and i was so angry i was screaming back at him Mm -hmm. um because he was yelling at me and Mm -hmm. i just yelled at him and I said, no, John, that's what you want. You're so right. You're so right. Right? He was projecting that onto you. Yeah. And I was like, he's literally turning around and this is what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. But like this time it was like he stood his ground and this was his territory. So Mm -hmm. I felt as if I needed to leave. Yeah. And so I got, I packed up my stuff, took my dogs, my three dogs, <laughs> and we went and stayed at my sister's place, which didn't allow dogs. So we had to like sneak them up. But it was so interesting because he lost control in this situation. Right. So much of what you said, I think, makes a lot of sense in the context of a psychopath's mind. Yeah. Because a psychopath will lose control and become impulsive very quickly when they feel like they're losing power. Yeah. And in that situation, he felt like he was losing power because when it was just the two of you, Deborah, you guys had their lovely relationship. He was love bombing you. It felt good at the time. You're, You're thinking, good, somebody actually appreciates me for who I am. And then the kids come in. And he knows that these are uncontrollable factors that he's not sure how it's going to go. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, before I even went out with John, I was going to a therapist to teach me how to have boundaries. Oh. <laughs> because I'm too nice. You're too nice. I'm a giver. You're too nice. You, your whole yeah. family is that way. I mean, you were yeah. raised that way. I right. think you have really right. good family values, the strong values. I know you're Christian and you talk about that a lot and just this value of forgiveness, right? right. People yeah. do something wrong, you forgive them, you welcome but, them back with open arms. It's hard. I mean, a really good example um, in my business, I had, a, I think, 40 to 50 employees at the time. Mm-hmm. And if someone got called downstairs to human resource and they went to the left Mm -hmm. was human resource. If you go to the right, it's my office. Mm -hmm. If you went to the right uh, and you were probably going to get fired for something Mm -hmm. and you walked into my office, I'm very compassionate. Mm. And they'd probably be getting a raise when they left. Oh, you are way <laughs> too nice, How can I help? Deborah. What can I do? <laughs> you are way too nice. So that, that was is so joke. funny, though, that you had that self-awareness. Yeah. You're like, maybe I need lessons in this. Oh, yeah. So I was going yeah. for boundaries for my kids. Um, <laughs> maybe for your romantic because, life, right? <laughs> right. And I wanted to make sure this time I was doing it right. Oh. So when this happens with um, Tara and John, yeah. What oh, I'm, how did you feel when you saw that oh, conflict? First of all, it broke my heart. Of course. Because you want your like kids my two loves. and the person that I'm falling for, oh. I want them to be getting along really well. Right. I mean, your expectation so, maybe was, right. oh my gosh, we're all going to be one big happy family. Right. So I'm watching this take place 
Oh. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, not this again. This is not what I wanted to happen. Especially with Tara. She's my ease. She's so easy. Yeah, she was supposed to be yeah, the one that would yeah. be embracing John the most, maybe. But then you, <laughs> and, and I was brokenhearted. I have to say, I cried quite a bit about it. Yeah. Because she's leaving and he's there. But what he's doing is, honey, this is so good for you. Mm. Uh, let her go. Um. She's going to come back and apologize and have a different attitude. Mm-hmm. So what he's doing is he's manipulating everything that happened yes. to where you're listening to this man. Yeah. And I, I feel that I'm fairly intelligent, mm-hmm. but he's able to persuade me. Yes. You know, your gut's telling you something, but mm-hmm. he is so good that you're listening to him and you're you're sort of analyzing it. And feeling like, okay, I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, she'll come back. Everything yeah. will be okay. You know, so on. And you know the funny thing about persuasion? People think, oh, I'm persuaded by facts. But did you guys know that research shows over and over again that we're persuaded by emotion? Really? So if John is really tapping into that emotional connection you had, oh yeah, logic doesn't actually matter that much. Okay, It's the feeling. So it makes sense that in the moment you're like, I guess this makes sense. And in that moment, your heart was his. So it yes. makes sense why mm-hmm. anything he said, yeah, you're like, well, I wanted this, to feel. Yeah, this yeah, man has right. my yeah. best interests at mm-hmm. heart. Mm-hmm. And Tara is the logical one here. And yeah. she's thinking something isn't right. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> yeah, no, he sent messages from my mom's phone and stuff that night, too. And he was um, telling me. What was my the s- message that he sent? He was selling, telling my sister to kill herself, <gasps> to jump off of the building. And of course, your sister at first thought maybe it was your mom. Oh, yeah. It. It's because it's so hard to like think that it's like not coming from her when it's her phone, of you know? And right. so in that moment, she's thinking, oh, my gosh, my mom's telling me to end my life. And this was oh. the person that gave me life. That's devastating. And I had no idea. Of course not. Because he's deleted. I was sleeping. He had deleted it. (laughs) Yeah. And crazy. And Jacqueline and he had blocked her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I I don't know who told me, but I'm like, are you sure? Um, I know Jacqueline hates him. So is she, Mm -hmm. you know, being honest with me? Right. And. When you're in it mm-hmm. and you're not seeing everything around you, it's no. so different. You only saw one piece of the picture. Right. And I think we're talking right. about a huge puzzle that had to right. be put together. I right. think this is why everybody was so attracted to mm-hmm. your story mm-hmm. is it was pieces, yes. right? You mm-hmm. saw pieces, glimpses, parts of John's personality that were magnetic, amazing, charismatic. Right. Then things start to unravel. But even at this point, it's not even like these are huge red flags yet because honestly, not getting along with... People's choices, your adult in, children, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. or not get, or not really liking mm-hmm. the person your parents are dating. Right, these are common problems. Right, but when did you actually, Deborah, had a sense of fear, like something dangerous might happen to me or my family? Because that's very different thing from what we're talking about right now. So two times, okay. The first time was everything was unraveling. And it was in March, the mm-hmm. first week of March. What was happening was there's this letter that comes in the mail. Mm-hmm. And you've got to remember 99.9% of the time, John is amazing with me. Mm-hmm. He is treating me. I mean, I'm coming home from work and he's grabbing me. He's putting on a, our favorite song, dancing with me. Mm. I mean, everything about him... 
is like a fairy tale. Right, right. So I'm seeing this, but uh-huh. yet I'm just torn over my family and hoping that they're going to come around. Yeah. You know, is the way, because I thought, how can they not like him? Mm-hmm. He's so fun, fun loving. He loves animals. You know, he's he seems so down to earth. I yeah. mean, it looked so good, obviously too good to be true. Right. But so I came home and there was this letter. Mm-hmm. And the letter said it was, I'd gone to the mailbox and, and keep in mind, John had put cameras up in the house mm-hmm. uh, for Good reason. Someone mm-hmm. had broken in, the Ovaltine woman. Mm-hmm. And so he was in. He Did was you guys tra- ever figure out how this stranger got into your house that instigated John to suggest to you, you guys should have more security? I think he set it up wow. because he wasn't living there yet. Or supposedly I didn't think he was. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, okay. So, so tell us a story. This person broke into your house. He had just got home and she was sitting there so drinking what happened, Ovaltine. Right. So that morning... Mm-hmm. And I even found her. I found her on uh, Facebook. Oh, wow. Yeah. But what happened was we'd gone to uh, church that morning. Mm-hmm. And when we came home after lunch, mm-hmm. uh, church and lunch, we walk in and there's this woman mm. sitting in, I have this real pretty wingback chair right mm-hmm. in front of the fireplace looking at the ocean. That is freaky. It was the strangest thing. And I... I glanced over there and I thought, wait, someone's sitting in a chair over there in mm-hmm. my place. John runs up to her. He says, go outside, call the police. Mm. He slams her down on the counter, you know, with her arms behind her. Wow. As I run outside to call the police, the police arrive. Mm-hmm. We put her on the sofa at this point. Mm-hmm. And bottom line is, I was scared after that. You know, someone's breaking into my place. So John right. said, let me get you cameras uh-huh. and maybe I need to start staying here and full you, time. And you think that he set it up so that he could get the cameras yes. for surveillance uh-huh. and he could gain entry right. into living in your home. Right. Which, of course, makes sense because as you're telling the story, it seems like a huge overreaction to go right. tackle a woman. Yes. Right. I yes. mean, I get the bewilderment and the fear. Right. But, you know, the two of you are there. You guys overpower her two to one. And right. you could just say, hey, who are you? What are you doing here? Right. But why the tackle? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. Doesn't that yeah, no. sound weird to you, it was weird. It was over. Yeah. It was an overreaction. Yeah. Well, normally when someone is in your house, yeah. you call the police, you get out of your house, you, you leave them in there, and you call <laughs> the police. That's what I would do. You know, you I don't tackle away. her. Yeah. That well, was to kind of show that he was a protector. Okay, I, have a nor- mm. I don't normally have a woman sitting in a chair in my of house drinking a whole tea. Yeah, that, that was that was a shock. Okay, so, yeah. so then back to the story, you had the surveillance everywhere now. Right. And then one day a letter comes in the mail. And that was, like you said, one of the first moments where you actually feared that yes. something more dangerous might be going on. So, yes. so what was the letter? The letter was from jail, mm. Orange County jail. And I started to read it. Mm. And it said... I'm glad life has turned around for you and things are great. Um, mm. And I'm thinking life has turned around for you and, and things are great. Yeah. John runs up to me because keep in mind, mm-hmm. he's he can see. Right. He, the surveillance is all set yes. up now. He grabs the letter out of my hand said, what are you doing? You're, you're, um, this is a felony. So he turns it on around me. Around on you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh who is this person? (laughs) And he said, 
never mind who this person is. You're you, this is a felony. How dare you look at my stuff? Yeah. I said because I don't trust you right now. So this we're already married at this point. I'm thinking to myself, what have I done? When you were reading that letter, mm-hmm. and it was from a prison yeah. inmate, and it right. said, "I'm glad life's turned around for you." Did you recognize in that moment? Wait, was he in prison? I mean, exactly. did you think that already? Yeah. And then I'll quickly overreacted again, and we were just talking about this psychopath checklist. Right. And mm-hmm. one of the things right. is this inability to take any responsibility. Right. They There's, turn around on you. Now you feel bad, right? Yeah. He made me look like I'm the bad guy. Yep. And I look at him and I said, you know. I'm sorry if I opened your mail, but I go, something's going on and I need to know the truth. Yeah. And so within a couple days, things unraveled. Mm-hmm. Um, my nephew, I talked to my nephew and he says, what if John was in jail, not in Iraq? Would you still love him? I said, well, I wouldn't trust him. Yeah. And I think that part of a relationship is tr- a big part of a relationship. Oh, yeah. Is trust. It's the foundation. Yes. 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 And he said, What if I found out that he's not an anesthesiologist mm. or a doctor? Mm. And I said, Again, that's a trust issue. As this is going on, you feel your heart just dropping and of you're course. just, you're upset with yourself. That you bought into something, how can you be so dumb? Yeah. Is how you feel at the time. Yeah. And what have I done? Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah. You know, you're, you're I'm like sleeping who is next this? to every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um defenseless and, in my sleep. Oh yeah. yeah. And then what happens is he has a bowel obstruction like a day later. Uh-huh. He rushes to the hospital. Mm-hmm. We're in a fight. Okay. Yeah. So he's in the other bedroom. I'm in my room. He screams to me from uh, downstairs. I'm headed mm-hmm. to the hospital. So I go the next morning mm-hmm. to the hospital and I'm thinking, I need, he's pretty drugged out at this point. Yeah. So I pick up his phone mm. and I start going through it. Mm. And there's a few women in there, uh, which I thought was interesting a lawyer, there's certain things. There was even a call to Jacqueline, one of my daughters, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, what in the world is going on? Yeah. And I screenshot him. Mm-hmm. And because he's so out of it, he's not aware, and I leave. Yeah. And that's when my kids came to me and said, um, we've been working with a private investigator, and here you go. And they gave this you is who he is. his entire rap sheet. Yes. And he has an incredible rap sheet. Incredible. In terms of the crimes that he's yeah. committed. Mm-hmm. He also duped a first wife. Right. Who also was a successful, smart mm-hmm. young woman at the time that they were married because they were in their 20s at the well, time. Well, plus, yeah. I don't know if you know this, not a lot of people know this, but there was another woman. Long story short, he was living a double life. So during the time that you guys were married? No. Or, no, with his with first. first wife. Yeah. Oh, at the same time. Right. At the same time, he yes. had a double life going on. Well, and in fact, when you guys got married on your wedding day, there was traces later on that you found out that he was online and had been talking to right. a bunch of women. Yeah. So of, of all of them, and I think there, there's a reason for this, you'll be able to tell us this, but Latter-day Saints, he was on that oh, website for wow. dating women. And I figure because they're sort of like me, a little bit more trusting and, and guided by certain values yes, theoretically. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So he's targeting people again yeah. who have soft hearts, maybe right, right. who, because of their religion and their mm-hmm. ascribing to those values, right. are going to say maybe I should give this person a chance. Exactly. Right. So, mm-hmm. so this is all unfolding. When I heard about it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm not crazy." Everything yeah, mm-hmm. that I thought was true mm-hmm. about him, all Felony, my worst theft, fears. Stalking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, everything just like. Every intuition that I had about him was spot on. Did you feel slightly vindicated at that point? Like, okay, good. I didn't just turn my mom's life upside down for nothing. Well, I was just like, okay, this guy is a psychopath or something along that lines. Like he's, he's definitely dangerous. And I wasn't thinking like things were going to get resolved really quickly. Uh, But I was was thinking, yeah, it was a process that was getting started. Yes. And so you knew this was going to be a long, long journey oh, yeah. to get your mom to be in a better place. And when you were confronted with this rap sheet, what was your first thought? I was in shock. Yeah. It was worse than you thought. Oh, I think that when I went to the doctor two or three weeks later, I'd lost hair. <laughs> oh, from the stress. I'd lost so much weight, Yeah, which was a good thing. But <laughs> Well, and you also but mentioned you- the whole shame and guilt oh, that you people go don't talk every about because you beat yourself up for you do beat yourself how could up. i have yeah. been a victim i knew yeah. I, i'm i'm better than yeah. this right yeah. yeah um you analyze yourself a lot yeah the guilt Did i you mean go over, i can't like, begin key moments oh yeah in your but, relationship but okay yeah. here's what i did mm-hmm. <laughs> so three weeks mm-hmm. uh 23 days he was in he was in the hospital yeah what happens is he calls me and he said, I have nobody and I need to be released from the hospital and I have MS mm. and you're my wife mm-hmm. and I have nowhere to go. Did he actually have MS? I don't think so. Yeah. I'll right. never know some of these things. Right, right, right. Yeah. But but it's a great story to kind of and, get you back in. Again, that empathy. Yeah. Hey, I know that you're a kind person. I know you care. Yeah. So. I thought, okay, I'll go pick you up from the hospital, get you yeah. released, and put you in a in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And I was staying with my oldest daughter at the time, and so I put him in put him in a hotel room, and he was so high. He looked awful. He lost, I'm going to say, thirty pounds. Mm-hmm. He looked at me and he said, "I am so so sorry." And of course, the crying mm-hmm. and. I love you more than I've ever loved anything, mm-hmm. and I can't live without you. And mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, right. What do I do? Yeah. Um. I said, but you've lied. You've lied and lied and lied about everything. Yeah. Yeah. I said, how can I forgive you for all this? He goes, because that's who you are. Mm-hmm. I said, and I remember saying, but I can't trust you. And he said, honey, if I would have told you. Any of these things, he goes, first of all, you need to know that I was the victim of some of these things. Yeah. And he said, you need to understand, I have MS, I can't, and I, I'm i sick, and yeah. I can't live without you. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Wow. Anyway, you, you're so torn. 
Yes. Because I am one of those softies that, yes. you know, I would, if there was a dog in the street that, yeah. you know, I would grab it and yeah. <laughs> take yeah. it to the hospital. And <laughs> well, he's sick. He's, I mean, he looks yeah. sick anyway. He's in a hospital bed. He's yeah. pleading for his life, basically. And he's painting himself to be the victim. Right. And he knows right. that that's your soft spot. And going back to how mm-hmm. much he was attentive mm-hmm. to you right. in the beginning, right. just knowing what your vulnerabilities were. Right. And then using that mm-hmm. to prey upon you. So he was really kind of going. Going for it now right. because he knew this right. was a crucial moment. I think I'm lose you. Am I empath? Is Are that what I am? Path? I think that you might be. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. you feel other people's pain yeah. Yeah. more than the average person. Right. I see someone crying, I'll cry. Right. Right. So you connect yeah. really quickly yeah. to that emotion. Yeah. And so he's trying to show you this emotion. Of course, it was still right. an exhibition, but right. again, because of who you are. And this is what sometimes people don't understand is it's not just, okay, let me just leave. Because the statistics are Mm -hmm. that even when you realize you're in an abusive relationships, it takes people an average of seven times times Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. they successfully leave. Right. 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 So when you make up your mind, it still takes a while, especially when you know he has this impulsive side that could hurt you and your family. So what I did was I put him in a hotel room. Mm -hmm. And I didn't stay there with him, but I thought, okay, as his wife or mm-hmm. as a good human being, I'll put him in this hotel room mm-hmm. while I find out the truth. So he says to me on Monday, I think this was a Thursday or Friday, he says, on Monday, I'll take you to my lawyer and they'll mm-hmm. prove to you that I'm innocent. Wow. And that a lot of these people that you're reading, John Meekham, John not even Mohan, me. Jonathan. <sighs> they were framing they are not me. me. If you look at this oh. one, it shows red hair, blue eyes. I have brown hair, green wow, eyes. Wow, he had an excuse for everything. He had an excuse for everything. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I'm willing to give you that much. I'll go to a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, and I can convince your kids. I will do everything to win your kids back. Mm. Well, and that... So, Right. Was the home run because, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. it was heartbreaking to see right. that, for right. example, him right. and Tara didn't get along at their first meeting. Right. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, yeah. maybe there's still hope that we can right. be this big, happy family. Exactly. Right. Because he wants it yes. now. This is his desire. Now, keep in mind, this lawyer says, I can prove to you that John is innocent. And I said, really? And he goes, and John looked at me and he goes, and I will do everything, anything, everything to gain your trust again. Mm-hmm. I will be completely forthright with everything. And I will do everything to win your kids' trust again. Oh, my gosh. And so, I mean, uh, now another couple weeks go by. Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing, I'm bringing him food. You know, I'm doing things for yeah. him. Um, but I, I've got one foot in, one foot out. And I think a month and a half go by where I finally get in a, an apartment and I move him into it. But I really do, like I'm saying, have one foot in, one foot out, but I don't want anyone to know. Right. So you were doing this in secret, which yes. adds to the shame right. and the guilt, right. of course. Right. So you're feeling, on yes. the one hand, really horrible about yourself. I'm feeling terrible about myself. Yeah. Because I, I'm thinking, okay, what if, what if he is this bad guy? Yeah. And, I'm, and you invited him back into your life. Right. Right. My kids are going to kill me. Yeah. You know, how can I face them? What can I say to them? You know, yeah. so on. So, but what I do during this time frame is I read everything I can possibly get my hands on yeah. about John. Mm-hmm. I started, 
I would say two, three months go by. So I, I'm going to say it's probably September. And I'm thinking, how can, and I realize he's a bad guy, but I don't want anyone to know how what, what I'm thinking. Because yeah. I, I was in fear for my kids a little bit. I didn't know enough yet. Um, and I thought if I go, if I leave, I could put them in danger. Wow. And I would much rather, at one point I thought to myself, okay, if I die, Mm-hmm. I know I go to heaven, mm-hmm. um, and I'd rather them be saved and be okay, because mm. I thought it was about me, um, him going after me, and I thought I I, I can live with that. I I'm going to be okay if I die, uh-huh. um, but, but you I wouldn't could be never okay forgive. with it if your kids died, right? As a result of right. John. So I thought to some degree I was protecting them by staying there. Yeah, yeah. And um, so what happened was. Um, I started setting up how to leave him. Yeah. And that's when I hired a forensic psychiatrist and a um two private investigators. Yes. Well, one at this point, one earlier. Um, so I get this one and I said, I need to know what I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is John um doesn't really know, but I'm able to now track him. Because mm-hmm. there's a tracker on um, one of my cars, yeah. and I have him drive that most of the time. Mm-hmm. I buy a house of Vegas mm-hmm. and say, I need you to work on that house, because he says he's a handyman. Yeah. And why don't you start working on that house? So I, yes. I'm trying to get him away from Orange County, where all my kids are, right, and where I am. And you're slowly plotting your exit plan yes. and so because what, he's away. Yes. yes. And so I was taking my paychecks, and I was cashing them. Mm-hmm. And putting them either at my kid's house or in a safety deposit box. Mm-hmm. I was changing like one week at a time a password. Yeah. Um, I was doing it very slowly. Yeah. Um, and what ended up happening was I was at the tail end of it. Mm-hmm. And John caught me. Oh, all of these plans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you had to run. At that point, you had to. I had to run. I had to get had out to fast. Run. I was in fear. I went to four police stations and not wow. one police station would do a thing. And because you didn't have any marks on you. Right. And what they don't realize right. is that emotional yeah. and abuse. I, and is, I felt so yeah. in fear. Yeah. Um, I felt like someone was following me all the time. So I went to a church and just felt safe in a church. Yeah. Um, but the police stations, one of them I sat, I'm going to say three and a half hours. Just sitting there. Yeah. Um, just hoping someone would talk to me about it, but they couldn't do a thing. Wow. So at this point, I go into hiding. Well, and then he also, like, called the cops on you. When I leave that time. Oh, okay. He uh-huh. said that I had hit him. Oh, wow. <laughs> but she <laughs> but was said, in a different you? state. Right. So I was in a different <laughs> but state. But see, I said, they have all you? the setup yes. so that you can't go anywhere, that you can't go to the police because if you do, right. then he's going to unleash this. And he's done that to some of his previous victims before well, where what he's I, set things up. Oh, makes him it's look crazy. Like a so yeah. what I realized, why this one lawyer mm-hmm. and many others, I'm sure, yeah. thought that he was the victim is because now I was the person that he was turning things around on. He may have had something on them and he might have been blackmailing yeah. them to oh, say he what- he was doing anything to ruin me. The lawyer got fired. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then there was, I think he like disbarred a few people. Tried before, to. Or tried uh, to. Tried to. Mm-hmm. So then if he puts that yeah. on the line, uh-huh. but he says, but if mm-hmm. you will tell somebody mm-hmm. this thing about me. Right. 
I won't go and report you to the bar. Yeah. So yeah. then maybe they'll mm-hmm. do it in exchange for their career. And so the cycle just continues, right? So now you're on the run. I'm on the run. Do your kids know that you're on the run? What's going on? Did, I'm did with you? Jacqueline. Okay, you're with Jacqueline. Jacqueline's the one that took me out to Vegas to get my things. My computer was there. Yes. Uh, some things, and she filmed it to make sure that he knew that we didn't take anything of his. Mm-hmm. Um, so because he was turning everything around. Right. To make it look like I had stolen from him. Right. That he was the one with the money. Yeah. I'm. I mean, he did everything. Well, then he went into let's destroy her mode. Yes. Uh, from setting my car on fire to putting things on Yelp, calling my builders. Um, he he said he was going to do anything to destroy me and my yeah. family. Yeah. So I was on the run for seven months. And so many things were happening. Mm-hmm. I was in fear. All the time. All day and all night. Yeah. Thinking that it was going to come in and strangle me or yeah. uh, find me. And I would switch phones and he would find me. It was extremely scary. Well, and I know at the same time, you feel so responsible for your kid's safety right, too. And then right. Jacqueline discovered mm-hmm. that he was stalking her one night. Mm-hmm. Call Tara, try to warn you. And then this, of course, brings us to the conclusion that everybody was just so shocked yeah. by, which yeah. is that... He came after Tara. Yeah. Yes. We had no idea. So Tara, tell us about that day. I know that that was a regular day for you. You were just going to work and then you were actually going to go to this concert and you were I'm so like, excited. Yeah. Well, it wasn't a regular day for me because <laughs> yeah, no, I was going now. for the concert. Yeah, um, <laughs> you yeah, were no, very excited about the concert. So excited. Like yeah. I bought lawn seat tickets. The good and tickets. They were, no, they were terrible. They, oh, they were, were terrible. terrible. Tickets? Oh. But I wanted to go so badly and yeah. it was $100 for lawn seats. And normally like, when you get the nose bleeders, it's like $30, $25. Okay, okay. I was so excited. I actually had a call the day before for a grooming appointment mm-hmm. for two Rhodesian Richbacks. And mm-hmm. it was actually him. Uh-huh. Trying to find out where you were going to be. Uh-huh. And But he was a no-show. So that mm-hmm. actually worked as a disadvantage to him because I left work early. And I left work early. I went home. The gate was broken. I went past the gate and I parked in my normal spot. And as I went past the gate, actually, my dog started to bark. And Mm -hmm. I look over and I see this guy fiddling with a tire iron, which is really abnormal. I just looked over there and I thought that this guy was homeless and living in his car, Mm -hmm. which isn't inaccurate because yeah. he was kind of living in his car and stalking us. Yeah. So I got that vibe from him and I just parked. I got out of the car. I went and I grabbed my dog and I walked to the license plate. And mm-hmm. right when I got to the license plate, he grabbed me by the waist. He looked me in the eyes and he said, do you remember me? Wow. And I How look, many months has it been since you've seen John at this point? Years, actually. Years? Or a year and like. Wow. I don't know. It, it was had, a long time. Yeah, I year hadn't seen him mm-hmm. since Thanksgiving. Wow. Or the day before. Uh-huh. And so I was like, oh, <laughs> like I remember him. But yeah. my brain just went to uh, fight or flight mode. Of course. And I just tried to run away. Mm-hmm. But I was unable to detach from him. And he kept on trying to cover my mouth. And I kept trying to scream. And I bit him as hard as I could. And then I ended up on my back. And I ended up 
kicking him and like pedal kicking him Mm -hmm. as this time I realized that I'm actually in a knife attack and that the knife's coming down on me because before I was in a Del Taco bag and Uh I was unaware that I was actually getting stabbed. (gasps) I thought I was actually just getting punched in the chest. Uh But I put my purse up to block my heart and stuff. So I actually have a stab on my forearm and then one on my chest because it went through my purse. Mm. But like that purse like saved my life. Of course. My dog's attacking his ankles at the same time. And I ended up kicking the knife out of his forearm. Wow. And it landed right on my right hand side. I'm right handed. I picked it up. It was in the ice pick position, which is the perfect position to pick up a knife. I started just. What's the ice pick position? So it's um when you pick up a knife, mm-hmm. like you want it like. The handle towards you. Yeah. So, okay. so I picked it up. I started just wheeling on him. I stabbed him in like his shoulder area 11 times Mm -hmm. and he like started to fall on top of me i held his head because i watch a lot of walking day Uh so i like didn't want him to bite me like a zombie (laughs) yeah and as he like fell down on me i stabbed him once in the forehead and then once in the eye because the eye was the softest point of entry and that is like the direct access to his brain so even if he's not dead, he's brain dead. And he, the ambulance showed up and revived him. Oh, my so. God. Okay, so let, I'm sorry. We have to go back and break this down because, first of all, that is so scary to have to do that to somebody on close contact. Yes, I get that you were in survival mode, but his face is right there and you are just stabbing him through the eye. Then you think, okay, that was a nightmare. Yeah. And maybe he's dead now. But then ER comes and they revive him. So what was your emotions like at that time when you realized, oh, he's technically alive again? So I actually didn't like associate that until later on, to be honest, because I saw someone go. It wasn't the ambulance right away. Someone went and started to do CPR on him. And I was like, mm. he tried to kill me. Like I started right. to freak out. Yeah. And so I went down the hill and then I was just like away from that. And right. then I during this time, I'm like, oh, I needed to collect myself. And so that's when I called her. And then um, I called my ex-boyfriend, too. I think it's unbelievable that when you called your mom, one of the first things that you said is, I'm sorry. You actually apologized for killing John, who was trying to probably kill you. But he had a kidnap kit in his car. I mean, he was ready to do something horrible. And I don't know what it was going to come to. But eventually, your life would have been on the line 100%. You know, oh, yeah, I'm an empath also. So I just felt bad for her because I've honestly experienced a relationship. I don't think he was a psychopath, but he Mm. was definitely in the cluster B personality (laughs) uh, disorder section. Um, so I just could relate to her because it was like this guy, yeah, he was a horrible guy. But when you are in a relationship, you're always going to care somewhat for that person. And I could just imagine like, yeah, I did kill this person because he was coming after me. But I felt bad because I knew that she was going to have to mourn him. Deborah, what did you feel when you heard that through the phone? Well, when she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm saying, oh, honey, (laughs) don't be sorry. Mm -hmm. The way we looked at it, 
In fact, that day, I had told my girlfriend, even if he gets arrested, we will always be in fear. So I felt that Tara saved many women. Yeah. Not just me, not just herself, but many, many women out there because he was such a bad guy. And in fact, his own sisters agreed with that. His own sister Mm -hmm. said, Yeah. It's okay, Tara. Mm -hmm. We're kind of glad you did it. Basically, I'm paraphrasing, but we're kind of glad you did it because uh, he was dangerous and unstoppable. And one of his sisters actually decided to pull him off life support because Tara did put him in basically a brain dead state, right? Well, I was called, yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm the next person to John. I hadn't gotten that. the widow. I'm the widow. I hadn't gotten the um, annulment wasn't going to happen until the 13th of that month. Wow. And so um, I'm called, and I thought, I can't make this decision. Um, I need to call a sister. Yeah. And so Karen, uh, his one sister, she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Karen, will you come with me to the hospital? Yeah. And Well, and then Jacqueline and I didn't want you to have that responsibility. So right. we started kind of yeah. like encouraging you to like... Well, not Get only that, involved. but you have to remember, it's a crime scene. Right. Uh, Tara had not been proven innocent yet or anything. Um, yeah. So I didn't want that to come into play, that I've pulled the plug. and Right. I That's interesting because you didn't know if Tara was going to be charged. You yeah. had no idea what was going to happen. Right. And we were calling daily. To, yeah. You didn't want it to look like, oh, right. this is a whole conspiracy. Mm-hmm. We all, you know, right. we're just trying to kill him, basically. Right. Right. Yeah. So five yeah. days later... He's had many, many strokes. Mm-hmm. I have. I went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I literally held his hand. Mm. I don't want anyone to just die and be alone. Yeah. Um, even though I was even so happy till the end. Well, that is such a kind sentiment for someone oh, who tried you. to take your daughter's life. Well, the way oh. I'm looking at it is nobody deserves to die alone. Um, I was very happy. With the outcome, I'll be honest with you. Did you feel um, slightly guilty about that? That there was a part of you that was I had guilt for excited. months <laughs> over what happened to Tara. I was in. Sh- I walked around in shock. I remember doing the interview for months uh, with Chris, and I was still in shock. I just couldn't process. I couldn't. I thought I'm the one that caused this, but I didn't mean to, you know. But you still walk around thinking. What is she? What is she going to go through? You know, right. with what's happened. Is she going to feel like the hero, or is she going to feel? How is she going to feel? So I went through. I can't begin to tell you the guilt yeah. uh, for months. Um, and it must have been so hard to try to do that, and also at the same time try to be a mom and yeah, and be protective yeah. of of Tara at right. the same time. Right. And it's just incredible sometimes how much yeah. guilt and shame can eat at you because right. it's internal for most people. Right. So you're wrestling but, with that. Right. But yeah. do you think you you go and you date and you think that this is going to happen? No. I mean, that was the last thing on my mind that well, I ever thought could happen. Did you sometimes imagine, oh, my gosh, when you look at Tara, sometimes she could have easily not been here oh, anymore. Oh, so often. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like his sisters felt like it was a just ending. They and were scared. They had family. A, yeah. Uh, one of them for sure had a, a restraining order against him. Wow. Because again, John would turn everything around. Yeah. But no, it, it's been 
a challenge at times because yeah. Tara has PTSD and I feel I feel so responsible for it. Um, but I'm not John. And right. I have to keep telling her and myself, I'm not John. Yeah. I had no idea. Tara, did you ever at any point feel like you blamed your mom for any of this? A hundred percent. I yeah. mean, at first I didn't want to, you know, yeah. but then you settle in and your emotions come into play and you realize like you're out of the shock. And then yeah. it's just like this happened indirectly because of her. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, you know, you don't expect someone to come after your daughter, but she did bring him into our lives and yeah. she's my mom and she's supposed to be my protective figure yeah. and a nurturing figure. So it's just like it took away that aspect yeah. of what I needed from my mom. And right. so I really had to build that up and, you know, work on things and communicate, mm -hmm. but in a right. good way, because yeah. when you have so many emotions yes. and they're coming out and they're so hard for her to understand it's mm -hmm. it creates more conflict than resolution a hundred percent ptsd and i'm thank you so much for talking about that because i don't think that people understand right. all of the emotions mm -hmm. and stages that people go through when they yeah. have ptsd there's anger there's resentment there's sadness there's guilt yourself beating yourself up what's wrong with me why me and it's a lot to process yeah. do you still have nightmares about that day and the specifics so not Really? Unless like, well, I'm writing a book right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm having to journal and go through all of that. Yeah. And so it brings it up during those points. And then um, certain things of like EMDR going through that. So it's yeah. just like when I'm writing my book and going through EMDR at the same time, yes. I'm just like, wow, this is a lot to handle. <laughs> and my eye movement desensitization reprocessing is a evidence-based treatment for PTSD. Yes. And in fact, you didn't really see the significant improvement until you started doing yes, that type of 100%. therapy. But it's intense. Oh yeah. It's a very intense type of therapy because you have to re-experience pieces of the trauma and reprocess it basically uh -huh. before you can let it go and, and move through it. Yeah. She was going through it when we went on the Tamara Hall show. That was oh. a nightmare that week. The, the <laughs> few days. Oh. I was just like, oh my gosh. Not going to uh. lie, but like, you know, sometimes with your PTSD and stuff, uh -huh. there's a time where you feel like if you're at a really low point, you're like, I can't deal with this I can't do this anymore I just wish I was dead because like there's so many emotions mm -hmm. and it's like you can't control it but you know as long as you continue to work on it yeah. and put in that therapy and just that self-growth then you can make such a difference and have a normal life you know and yeah. that week was a hard one and that week I wanted to die <laughs> oh my gosh Tara I think, again, this is just another side of PTSD that people don't realize that even though you're the victim and you're the one who went through the trauma, that you consider taking your own life because sometimes you don't feel like you're worthwhile. Yeah, and it's so it's common dark. with PTSD. Too. It's so dark. It's so dark because the ultimate problem with PTSD is that your sense of safety is robbed. Mm-hmm. And when human beings don't have a sense of safety, mm -hmm. they perish. So people sometimes do things that almost cascade them toward that end. Even though obviously you have a crazy will to fight. I think that is amazing. But I, but I think people don't realize that 
when human beings and their sense of safety is taken away, that sometimes they will almost give up on their own life as yeah. a result, you mm -hmm. know? But it's good that you're working through it. Thank and you. I know you're doing really hard work. Thanks. Well, even having you on my podcast, mm -hmm. I learned, I was like, oh, I'm not doing as much body work. Yeah. And so I'm like, I really started to, um, I did like body work. I'm doing cupping, acupuncture, yeah. and then I'm doing spin three to five times a week. Yeah. So I'm really putting in that, you know, the body work now. You were doing a lot of rock climbing at one point too. Yeah. That's awesome. When I sing yes. the Texas. Yes. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. You know, trauma lives in our body. Yes. And sometimes even if we're not thinking about it cognitively and even emotionally, maybe not saying, oh, I feel sad or scared our body will have mm -hmm. a certain reaction that feels not in our control, but that is your body trying to process that trauma. So I'm really glad that you're doing more body work. Deborah. do you think you have PTSD either vicariously, which sometimes happens, or even PTSD just from your time with John? Well, Tara brought up earlier that I've had some bad relationships. Yeah. So I've had physical violence too. Wow. Um. So probably, um, obviously not like her, not to that degree. Well, mine was a com combat like situation. Right, and right, so that's yeah. a little different mm -hmm. compared to yeah. the normal PTSD. Right. Combat related PTSD is very severe. Yeah. But I think there's sort of this other picture of PTSD mm -hmm. that people right. don't realize of like being in abusive relationships because that's more of like a long game. Yeah. So yours was very incidental, yeah. this one huge traumatic event. But for you, Deborah, it was maybe certain episodes or well, periods I of was time in a twelve-year relationship with one man. We won't say who it is. Yeah, um, and he and was he physically. Was a, he was physically and emotionally abusive. Yeah, yeah, and that takes away the sense of control and the sense of power right. that you have about yourself, right. and it makes you second guess things. And that's the right. thing about trauma, mm -hmm. is it makes you second guess if you're safe. It right. makes you feel like you have to be in fight or flight when you don't have to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes you sometimes second guess your own radar, right? Your own gut feeling and what's well, really in happening. in that relationship, it was so important for me to get the kids away from it. So if he was going to yell at me and scream at me, I wanted to make sure they were not near yeah. I'd bring them in a room where they couldn't hear. So I think you go to protective mode of your children when they're younger. Yeah. Um, opposed to think about yourself as much. Well, I think you ne probably neglected yourself a little bit yes, at that time. Because you were kind of more of a survivalist mode at the time for right, your children. Right. And then as you then see your children grow up and you think that they're taking care of themselves, you try mm -hmm. to return to yourself to try right. to figure out what it is that right. I need. Mm -hmm. And John 100% knew this about your background right. and used it against you at the most inopportune times right. when he knew you were the most vulnerable because right. Right. he knew that you were yeah. seeking love right. and that in the past you had been neglected. Mm -hmm. but you neglected yourself and also the people right. you were with neglected you. So he gave you right. all of that attention which made you feel like maybe this was going to be my new beginning. Right. And that is, in essence, what psychopaths do is they get to the deepest part of your heart mm -hmm. and they lock that secret away until they have to use it. Hmm. And that's why he's able yeah. Yeah. to be that wonderful, magnificent man to you 99% of the time mm -hmm. because you hadn't given him a reason to use it yet until... Right. He knew 
that the situation was unraveling. And then he just became impulsive as hell Mm -hmm. and then made all of these blunders and Mm -hmm. errors. And thank God, Tara, that you took him out because he had hurt so many people in the past. And he's going to hurt so many people in the future. I have so many women that reach out to me that either change their name or went into hiding or just have still are not normal, still can't deal with it. Um, that were John victims. Yeah. Yeah. And they probably have varying levels of PTSD too. Yeah. Hearing about everything mm-hmm. and thinking about what they've been through. Right. But the best part of the story is John is gone and he can't yes. hurt anyone else. Thank God. <laughs> through both of your work, mm-hmm. you have been able to teach so many people about warning signs, about the real picture of what a victim looks like. Mm-hmm. And the answer is there's no real one picture. Right, but also right. just because you think you're smart, mm-hmm. that actually might make you more of a victim. Yeah. So that yeah. is a misconception. Right. Right. Yeah. And my podcast is all about giving people a tip to better their life. I want people, whenever they listen to an episode, to feel empowered and to walk away with a tip that they can apply to their lives right away. And the tip that I'm inspired to talk about from your story is owning your experiences and owning your story. Because what happens when you go through trauma, and this is a shared trauma, because you know you guys talk about it, you guys have to relive it, and it's shared experience as well as individual. You feel your power and control and safety being taken away when you are a victim of things like this. Yes. But you guys are getting back into mm-hmm. it, controlling the narrative, taking the power back. So what tips can you give my listeners about doing that. <laughs> Anybody who's been through hardship, degrees of trauma, how do you own your story and take that power and safety back for yourself? I think you have to learn from what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. And the one thing is I had to learn red flags. Mm-hmm. I had to learn what a psychopath was, sociopath, narcissist. Mm-hmm. So it's really educating yourself yeah. so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Not making that mm-hmm. mistake right. and doing the hard work of educating yourself because right. in that work, right. sometimes you see things you don't love. Right. You feel right. guilty. You go through these emotions, right? right? But doing mm-hmm. that work, that empowers you. Exactly. What about you, Tara? So I kind of want to piggyback off of what she said. I think that that's great, but I think you need to realize the patterns that you are doing yourself mm-hmm. and stop those patterns mm-hmm. from happening again so having that self-awareness but like holding yourself accountable taking responsibility for your part Uh uh-huh and then also like therapy is amazing Mm. but finding the right therapist oh Oh, yeah there are bad ones out there (laughs) remember there was one of you there was was a therapist who apparently sided with john so hello there are actually two two did yeah that just drives me crazy but just like any profession yeah Yeah. and i'm so glad that you said that tara because i i think it's weird sometimes people just go into a therapist's office mm-hmm. and I don't know they just feel like they should sit down and commit to that therapist but why this person's yeah, gonna right. know your deepest darkest mm-hmm. secrets mm-hmm. you should interview the heck out of your therapist uh-huh. and find the one that you really feel good about before right. you settle in yeah and if yeah. I feel like if you think that maybe you're smarter than them sometimes like definitely find a therapist that can challenge you 
Yes. Yeah, because when you're doing real therapeutic work, it's not supposed to feel good all the time. Yeah. So if you have a yes person on the other side, just like, uh-huh, that sounds great. Yeah. You're not going to be doing any real work. Yeah. And I think right. both of you are just so inspiring working through this every step Thank of the you. way. And you guys are really taking us, our, the viewers and the listeners who get exposed to your stories and your interviews on the journey with you because the healing is continuous. It's not done yet. You're still processing it as well. Something yeah. that's really important to me, and this is why we actually shared our story, is there are so many victims that feel isolated, feel like they're the only one going through this. Mm -hmm. But there are so many women out there, and, yeah. and there's some men, yeah. that they're not alone. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to share our story. Well, we are all so deeply connected as a species, and we can learn so much from one another. And I've learned a lot from both of you today, and I just appreciate you both taking the time to be here. Where can people find you and learn more about you? Well, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Tara Newell, T-E-R-R-A-N-E-W-E-L-L. -L. And then I'm also on Twitter, but I'm Tara underscore Newell. And then I have a website, taranewell.com. I love your website. It's really inspirational. Oh, Great you. blogs. Love reading them. And Deborah, where can everyone find you? Well, Deborah Ambrose Newell, uh, but I also have a book coming out. Great. And it will be talking a lot more than about my story or our story, I should say. But it's going to go deeper. And That's it's going to talk about my sister yeah. and childhood and other relationships. Yeah. That's wonderful. And coercive control. Yes, coercive yeah. control. That's wonderful. Well, I yeah. can't wait to read it. Will you sign my book for me when it comes out? <laughs> of yes. course. Okay. Well, please come back and visit anytime. And thank you both for being here today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho on social. And remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends. I'm Dr. Judy. And remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life.